If your environment is running enterprise Linux systems and you need a way to accelerate your vulnerability patching timeline and meet your compliance goals, then you got to check this out. TuxCare is a division of Cloud Linux focused on making open source Linux enterprise grade by automating, simplifying, and enhancing enterprise Linux operations. Their kernel care product provides automated live patching for Linux kernels with centralized management, standard automation, and vulnerability management tools integration. Oh, and this also includes non-disruptive live patching for kernels within IoT devices. And as we all know, a single unpatched IoT sensor can expose your business to as much risk as a large-scale server in your data center. TuxCare can also take care of your live patching within your enterprise virtualization stack and database servers seamlessly. Place TuxCare in your ecosystem to work alongside your existing configuration management tools, vulnerability scanners, or ePortal secure patch server all while gaining 24-7 support. So leave the burden of enterprise Linux patch management to TuxCare so you can focus on the productivity and success of your organization. Visit TuxCare.com for more info today. That's T-U-X-C-A-R-E.com today. With your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hello, Chris. How are you? I haven't seen you lately. Yeah, I've just been busy, man. I need a drink. You've come to the right place. What spirit are you looking for? Yeah, speaking of that, I actually got to run. Okay, here is a fast one for you. I call it red rum. You need two ounces rum, one ounce grenadine, and two and a half ounces orange juice. Mix the rum and grenadine in a cocktail shaker. Then, pour it into a highball glass over crushed ice and orange juice. Thanks, man. Shit, not again. The lights keep flickering. I got the electric company scheduled for service tomorrow. Although if we lose power again, we have to shut down until it's repaired. Hold up. Don't do that yet. I got to catch up with a friend of mine who just walked in. Okay. I'll see you next round. Former hacker turned security researcher Mike Jones spent several years as a signal intelligence operator in the military and was also an operator in several underground hacking groups with ties to APTs. His killer podcast, Haunted Hacker, is absolutely just tearing through the industry right now. The haunted hacker himself, Mike Jones, joins me. Mike, man, it's been a long time coming. Welcome to Barcode, my friend. Heck yeah, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor. So, Mike, talk me through the evolution of the haunted hacker. Were you hacking at a young age? Oh yeah, I, I think some of the very first things I hacked was like the uh, little professor calculator that would talk. 
as you you know did your little equations and i found ways to manipulate the voice on the board and things like that and i was building like room bugs at the age of like 10 and 12. oh that's cool man so 10 and 12 so did you have family members that were in the technology at that time or you know was this just a passion that that you sort of developed on your own i don't know so my dad worked at the nsa when i was a kid and uh, he was into technology in a big way <clears throat> in a big way so i got into a lot of stuff he, he did like electronics and uh ham radio mm. so i kind of took those from him cool man so so then you had access to the tech um i'm curious then how did you learn hacking then um did you know other people that were hacking at that time or you know did you have influencers that you you followed during that time Oh yeah. Yeah. So back in the day, um, you know, it wasn't that I had people around me that were hacking or that were, you know, had that kind of mindset, but I always had like a curious mind. I always tell people that as humans, we're born as hackers. I mean, we have to learn how to adapt to the environment. We have to learn how to speak and, and communicate. So we're all born with that, you know, like, I guess, inherent hacking ability. Um, with me, it was just, I took a little bit further. Um, I think some of that has to do with like the Asperger's and stuff like that. Um, when I focus on something, laser focus on something, I do it to the extreme. There, there is no, you know, doing it midway or doing it, you know, efficiently. For me, it's everything or nothing. Um, so I kind of dove into technology and, and, you know, just love taking things apart. Yeah. Yeah. And that mindset is, is embedded in you. Yeah, for sure. And when you look at like today's devices, like, you know, I'm, I'm being put together piece by piece, like cybernetically with hearing aids and, and a pacemaker. So technology is going to be a part of me forever. Um, and as I get older and then I start getting things replaced, like electronically, it's, it's kind of weird because I, I remember as a kid watching movies that, you know, depicted that kind of thing, you know, the billion dollar man, stuff like that. Um, it's just amazing how far we've come and it's so exciting. But I think the the world of VR and, and you know that mixed reality I think is really going to open some doors. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, yeah. So you were you were immersed in the the tech realm at such a young age that eventually you entered the military, right? Where where you were focused on signals intelligence, which, from my understanding, involves intercepting foreign communication signals. Is that a proper description? Like, how would you describe what signal intelligence is? Yeah, pretty much uh, intercepting anything RF. Um, you know, we have tons of RF that floats around us in our environment every day, uh, including cell phone signals, uh, you know, radio, TV, all that stuff. So in an environment, in a battlefield or, or a theater of, of conflict, um, that type of, of collection is super important. So that's signal intelligence. And that's, it really sparked an interest in me that, that and, and, a capability I didn't know I had, um, and that, that came with the math skills. Uh, and then I just really took that to the extreme, like I do everything, um, and really pushed on it and learned as much as I could. And then when I got out, it just opened up the doors for everything. And how long were you in the military doing that? A total of 13 years. Um, I went into the military the first time back during the first Gulf War, not to date myself or anything. Um, and so for those of you who were born after that, yes, in 92, we were in Iraq the very first time. Um, so that was the first time I went in and then I re-enlisted, um, right after 9-11, um, right after the planes hit the building. And I went into signal intelligence then because I thought, you know, there's a huge gap and that gap is intelligence. 
So that's where I went. Gotcha. So then while you were in the military, what do you feel was the, the driving factor that just helped you stay interested in that specific line of work? Well, I think with a lot of people going to military, you go in with the idea of patriotism and like really wanting to fight for your country and, you know, right the wrongs have been, you know, carried out. But the problem with, with, with that mentality and that, that urge of adrenaline and patriotism is that once you get in there and you get exposed to certain things and with the top secret security clearance, that happens a lot. Some of the things that you might see, you might not agree with. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about, you know, why are we here? Why are we doing this? And I think that people are still asking that, you know, especially after the debacle in uh, Afghanistan we pulled out um, after we'd spent 20 years there trying to free people. Um, so, yeah, I think that drove me in a direction of mentally and um, spiritually, I think, going after um, exposure and, and disclosing secrets and, and, and cover-ups and, and just the, the smuck of the, of the world, basically. And so that took me off into a direction of hacktivism. But at the same time, I was still working commercial jobs and I maintained a nine to five job the entire time. And uh, so that, that, that helped me a lot, um, being able to work in different industries while working in hacktivism, you know, it gave me insight to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned hacktivism. Um, how would you describe hacktivism? And tell me a little bit more about your involvement. Sure, sure. So getting involved in hacktivism, um, for me, it was taking that patriotism and turning it around to something that was more realistic, uh, something that really needed some sort of eyes on and, and exposure and some, to make some sort of impact. And I think that we did that within the hacktivist groups that I was in, you know, like Anonymous and, and some of the other groups. Uh, but the problem is, like, you know, when you look back at, at the way that we did things, we could have done them a lot better and a lot differently. Uh, and I think that's why there was, you know, there's so much splintering that went on. Um, it still goes on. But yeah, so that, that was my sense of hacktivism. And when I say hacktivism, it was more of any way to get the data or the information that we needed to expose either civil rights violations or, you know, any kind of, you know, violation like that and expose the truth about things. Um, and some of that, you know, it went as far as tracking, you know, email, email databases or, or, or just databases in general. Um, so that, that's where the hacktivism portion comes in. Yeah. A lot of people now, you know, the, I think the sense of hacktivism was lost along the way somewhere. Um, and I think that's when everything went kinetic and people started getting physical at some of these hacktivists or some of these protest riots. I think that when things went physical, I think, that's when we lost the true ideal and sense of what we were doing. Um, and then people start hijacking the movement. Uh, so, I mean, that's hacktivism in a, in a very condensed short period. Yeah. And you know that from the outside looking in, you hear hacktivism getting a bad rep. Yeah. Um, although, like you said, ill intent is not always the case. Right. Right. I think, you know, a lot of it, there was good that was done too. I mean, communications out of Iran during their issues, you know, who do you think helped construct that whole issue? Um, the Arab Spring, you know, some of the things that, that were triggered from some of the stuff we did, I mean, were actually good things that help people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do want to hit on the podcast, man. 
Uh, you just surpassed two years not long ago. So congrats on that, man. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, what do you feel has been the biggest takeaway for you personally during the time that you've been podcasting? Well, I think the, the biggest thing that stood out to me was <clears throat> bringing people on the show who had these huge resumes, right? And I, it was really impressive. But what I found was that a lot of those people, just their journey and their path to what created that resume was super interesting. And I learned so much more off of like the personal side of things than I did, you know, the actual jobs that they held and, and how they got them. Um, we all know networking is a big part of it. But hearing the stories that drove people to do what they do, I think it was my biggest interest in starting a podcast, which is sharing my story and then hearing other people's story and letting people share that. Yeah, I love that, man. And, and with each guest that you have on, you uncover their own perspective and, um, and you hear their own story and you'll never hear the same story twice. No, and then hearing some of the people that, that I've had on like, uh, Richard time, um, just hearing his story, which is phenomenal. And then reading his book, um, you know, Mobius, a memoir, uh, just really gave me insight into him as an individual too. So just those experiences, like being able to, to like share a conversation with someone who's like had that type of experience in their life. I think it's really cool. Yeah, man. So I read that the idea for the haunted hacker podcast, um, was conceptualized over a single glass of bourbon on a mountaintop. <laughs> Maybe a few more than just a single glass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll say that the last glass is the one that counted them. Yeah. And they say to avoid drinking alcohol at high level altitude, <laughs> but, um, but it worked for you. Well, it, it was weird because it, it wasn't really a podcast. The, the very first thought wasn't, I want to do a podcast. I thought I'm just going to do a zoom and invite people to jump on and I'll just talk about random stuff that, that I do or that I'm interested in. And it became more of a, we want to hear more about you and about other people. And so I brought on the first guest and it went from there. But the very, like the conception of it, it, it started out just the way that it's described with the bourbon. Um, I think that there was actually one episode where I used to do like four and five hour podcasts, live podcasts on Zoom. And I think there was one point where um, on the very first or second episode, uh, we were celebrating and we had quite a few drinks. And I think that uh, I, I ended up just calling it quits in the middle of the podcast and going to bed. Um, and everybody just, you know, was curious and confused where I went. So they just continued. Uh, but those, the early days were so crazy. There was no organization and it was just hours long. I mean, it was, it was nothing to be on a podcast for five or six hours. Now, were you into podcasts yourself at that time? Did you have any idea in terms of, you know, topics or guests that you wanted to include or did you just, you know, wing it and then, and then, you know, see that success eventually evolve over time? The only exposure to, I guess, what you would consider a podcast today um, for me <clears throat> was Joe Rogan, um, his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. And funny enough, uh, it wasn't really a podcast, it was a radio show, but I still consider it a podcast back in the day. It was Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. Uh, those were like two of, those were two of my influencers. Um, I like the way that they were pretty raw and genuine. 
but that was my exposure to what a podcast should be. Um, how to get there? I had no idea, man. Like <laughs> there was no structure. There was no sit down and read a book. It was just, we'll see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a reason that, that you are so successful with this is that you didn't follow someone else's pattern. You know, um, you understand the, the sort of communication skills needed by hearing Stern and Rogan, but you wrote your own blueprint, um, which I respect. And, and I think that that has contributed to your success thus far. Oh, for sure. I think that, just not having the professional experience of podcasting or any kind of entertainment. I think that kind of gave me the upper hand because I didn't want to be professional. I didn't want, I didn't want to to enter into the the whole commercial world of it. Um, But what's funny is that's, that's where it's going. You know, I got my first uh, partnership with PIA, uh, private internet access, and they've been great. But if you would have told me back when I started this, that that's where I would be today. I would tell you crazy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. I've been like, I've been done. <laughs> yeah. I know you're passionate about this industry, um, which is a key element yeah. as well. Um, and I feel like you have a true passion for what you speak on and, and you keep it real, man, regardless of if you have X number of listeners or an infinite number of listeners. Yeah. It's weird because like the guests that I've had on, you asked about that. Um, what's really cool is if you look at the guest list that I have, I've had on the show, a lot of them are just really good friends of mine. Um, and it's just a, a casual conversation. That's the way that I like to keep it. Um, but you're right. I, I do it because I enjoy doing it. And I want to um, kind of like historically record what it was like for us. Um, so that people down the road can like watch or whatever. Uh, if I had zero viewers, I don't care. It's really going into an archive to be saved for history. I mean, they don't have to watch it now, but someday somebody probably will. So. Yeah. What a critical time in history we're living in right now, you know, transitioning out of the pandemic. Um, so what's next for you, man? Can you, uh, can you share with us what direction you're taking your show in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, man, I got like a really cool um, idea that I'm working on. I'm actually going to take the podcast into the metaverse in 2023. I got this really cool um, Insta360 360 VR camera. And so I'm going to start recording the episodes. Um, I'm going to kind of design a little studio, record the episodes, and then also play them live in the metaverse within Horizon Worlds. So we're working on building that venue within Horizon Worlds. So it looks like an actual podcast studio. And then I broadcast the video live, the VR video up on the screen. So we're getting there. Nice, bro. You need to trademark that. You know, I, I, I hope I can. But what's really cool about the metaverse is that, you know, I, I, I kind of foo-fooed it for a long time. I just, I, I didn't want to dive into it. And I thought it was a bunch of BS. Um, but I tell you what, it's been a cool experience. I've seen the worst of it. I've seen the best of it. Uh, the best of it being, you know, concerts, entertainment, and stuff like that for people all over the world just in the metaverse. So you literally can go hang out with your friends at a concert in the metaverse virtually watch movies, all kinds of stuff. Um, and now they're going to do mixed reality. So just the, the possibilities of that technology and, and being able to take what we do now, like in cybersecurity, you know, I, I see, you know, virtual reality being, you know, a knock or a sock in the future. 
there's so many possibilities for it. I agree, man. Um, it's limitless when you think about the the use cases. Um, do you feel like the technology needs to catch up? Do you feel like organizations need to catch up? Or do you feel like it will just evolve organically? What will it take for us to see more of it in today's society? Well, I think the you know, you talked about how is it going to grow, if it's going to grow organically. I think there's a lot of influence from, you know, the big tech giants, you know, like Meta, you know, all those people. I think that there's a big influence into the metaverse and virtual reality from them, you know, obviously. But I think, you know, we saw it with the Internet when it first came out. And what happens when it gets popular? All the seedier, nastier side of the internet is the first thing that's built. It's the first thing that's functional. Um, and the uses and useful cases for the internet then later comes down the road. Um, and I'm seeing that in the metaverse already. You know, just some of the clubs are supposed to be 18 and up in, in Horizon Worlds, but, you know, kids can speak with voice and that's all they're doing. There's no controls. And I've just, I've seen the worst part of that world so far and i hope they can find a way to rein it in but just like the internet you know when it first came out it was like the wild west <laughs> is that your cat yeah yeah my, my cat i guess seems to either agree or disagree very emphatically so <laughs> <laughs> sounds like your cat is a big proponent of internet cat videos <laughs> cats and tacos <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think you're getting ready to tap into an area of the metaverse that I think could be uncharted territory. Yeah, I got the idea actually from another guy that was in the metaverse. So one of the guys saw that my screen name was Haunted Hacker, and I guess he had recognized a screen name and asked me if I was that guy. And I said, yeah. He goes, I got someone who wants to meet you. Follow me. We're actually in Horizon Worlds. So he took me to a private world that they created, which was a recording studio. And they'd asked me if I wanted to be recorded and do a podcast on their studio. And I thought, wait a minute, this guy's got an idea. You know, I've already got an established podcast. They don't. And why not take what I'm doing now and not just do an audio, which is what they want to do, but why not do a 360 virtual reality experience where people that are listening to the podcast and watching can actually be part of or in that room. Yeah, that's a phenomenal concept, man. Um, now, when you started looking into it more, how challenging was it for you to fully understand the infrastructure needed to run that? I think the hardest part was just figuring out exactly what it took to make and create virtual reality videos and what was entailed in, in the protocols and the, in the formats. Once I figured that out and then just went out and, and did like a comparison with the cameras, I didn't go out and spend a ton of money on camera. I think I spent like 400 bucks on my camera, um, but it does a job. And I've, I, I toyed with it for a little bit, figured it out. And I recorded my first message on it and I'm going to record my first podcast on it next week. So it should be really cool. I can't wait, man. I mean, the metaverse is getting so advanced now. I mean, they have a uh, talent contest and like the voice type uh, situations. Um, I went into one uh, world within Horizon Worlds that are having like a voice competition where they had an online recording studio that's pretty popular. 
had like a talent contest and people were jacking in their guitars and singing and, and I mean, it was amazing. I'm sitting there watching it in the virtual reality world and it's like legitimately happening and they're signing people from this competition, but it's all taking place within the metaverse. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah, it's called virtual reality, but to me, it's more like extended reality, you know? It's crazy because one of the questions that, that that producer asked me, and he's a pretty established producer, he had these little mushrooms on his virtual desk in his, in his uh, studio. And I said, what are those? He goes, well, they're obviously mushrooms. He goes, if we're trying to figure out, you know, maybe you can help us with this. We're trying to figure out a way to make metaverse drugs so when people take them, it makes the experience seem like they've taken something. Oh, wait. So, they're, I mean, they're, they're trying to mimic everything that happens in the real world into the metaverse good or bad and you're getting that intel from within the metaverse so you're having real conversations right right and that is the ultimate intel of a metaverse experience right because oh totally again if you're not experiencing it firsthand it's an outside looking in perspective well and they also take the perspective of the big tech giant who's giving them a kickback to write the article about their product yeah. So, but the experience is great. Um, you know, like if people are looking to find me in, in the uh, Horizon Worlds, you can find me in venues. I'm still on the same name, Haunted Hacker. And, you know, I, I try to dive into anything uh, new into the metaverse, and that includes the doors that are like shut to the general public that are invitation only, that are like some really strange places. So, if you do jump in, let me know and I'll take you on a tour of those places. Nice. I'll be on. And to anyone else listening to this that's already on Horizon Worlds, look for The Haunted Hacker. Yeah. I picked Haunted Hacker so that people would know that that was me. And in my actual avatar within the virtual world actually looks like me, um, but with the beard. I'm going to have to correct that this week. But yeah, it was <laughs> from a couple weeks ago. So. Yeah. And for those that do know you, um, I'm actually talking to a beardless haunted hacker right now, um, which is unlike you. So. Tell me how that happened. We had a, uh, me, Matt Lee, Ian Richardson, and a ton of other people, um, a bunch of bearded wizards from the IT world. Uh, we said that we would shave our beards off if we reached $100,000 raised for charity for this cyber beard shave charity that Matt started. Well, we raised $120,000. And so my beard came off yesterday and I recorded it for, um, I think it's called IT World or something like that, a conference um, this week. And so they'll play it then. Uh, but it is coming back. It, it, today is day one of letting it grow back. But I, I did it for a good cause. And, and there was a lot of really cool um, nonprofits that we raised money for. Uh, Women Who Code. Um, just a lot of really cool organizations. That's fantastic, man. And you don't look bad, dude. I mean, when I shave my beard, um, you know, I can't look at myself in the mirror. I, th- I think we all feel that way. Once you get attached to that beard and, and that covering, once it comes off, the shock, the initial shock and trauma of seeing your own face is horrible. <laughs> it is. It's part of your identity. Bro, I'm telling you, like my, out in front of my apartment building, my beard literally would stop traffic. There was a lady, this sweet lady who drove the uh, tour bus here in, in Chattanooga. And she passed by the, the uh, front of the building every day. And I happened to be out there. And she literally stopped in the middle of the street one day to tell me that my beard game was on point. 
she was such a sweet lady, but it literally stopped traffic. And when I told my girlfriend that she was like, Oh, not for long. We're getting that thing off your face. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about hackers for vets and, um, talk to me about your mission with that. Sure. So I got, I got the idea for hackers for vets when, you know, I went through the process of filing for disability, uh, through the VA. And what I found was that there's literally nobody that will help you. Um, there's nobody who like guide you through that process. And I thought, you know, I, I thought back to when I first got out of the military and what it was like coming out of the military and the people who are doing a debriefing and trying to get us ready for the civilian world. I mean, these were guys who didn't necessarily have the same jobs that I had or even the same qualifications or clearance level. Um, so the help for me or for people like me wasn't there. They didn't really know what to tell you. Um, so I wanted to make it easier for guys to transition from the military. My biggest problem when I left the military was I was on an enlisted um, pay rate, which if those of you who know back then, um, and still now today, like enlisted, uh, a lot of them qualify for food stamps and, and you know government assistance. That's how little money they make. Uh, so coming out of the military, I was a young father. I didn't have a whole lot of money and I had to make it work. Um, and I don't want to see people have to go through that. So I thought, how can I help? And I thought, well, I could do vouchers, or I could do an academy, or I could do this, or I could do that. And I thought, you know what? No, I, let's give money, see how this works. So I'm giving 10000 in December to a veteran who's applied for it. And all I ask is that they put to good use in helping them transition from military into cyber. Um, and that's only stipulation is they have to be leaving the military with an honorable discharge going into a technology uh, associated field. Uh, and I, it's just a way to help them out and make things easier. Um, so far, I've interviewed a couple candidates and just hearing their stories, like it's really amazing. Some of the stuff that these guys have, have gone through. And so, you know, just make life a little bit easier for them. Love it. And um, where can our listeners find out more about Hackers for Vets? Or is there a link on your site? Yeah, there's a link on the hauntedhacker.com. Um, and on that link, they can uh, get the email and whatnot to um, submit their application. Okay, so I finally have to ask you, how did you get the name Haunted Hacker? So it's really funny how it, how it came out. So we started the podcast in October a couple of years ago. And I love Halloween. Like that's my, that's my thing. That's my jam. Um, I like anything horror related for those of you who've seen my apartment, you know, like it's decorated like a, like Dracula's castle. Um, I, I just love the, the darker side of history and the darker side of things. Um, so the Haunted Hacker, when it came out, it was like, so what should I call this? You know, and I thought, well, it's October and you know, I have all these ghosts in my past. He keep following me, you know, three letter agencies. So I thought, why not? Why not I just call it the Haunted Hacker? Nice. Now, do you ever get into um, listening to, you know, ghost hunting or paranormal type podcasts? Is that something that you're into? Oh, I do. Yeah. So uh, on my first anniversary podcast, I had a lady from Chattanooga. Her name is Amy Petula on the show. And she runs, she owns the Ghost Tours of Chattanooga. Um, ghost Tour. And she also wrote a bunch of books about, you know, some murders that happened in North Georgia and, you know, dark history stuff. I um, had her had her on the show. Uh, it was really cool. We talked about a lot of really neat stuff. 
Um, but I'd love to like actually interview somebody from like A and E, you know, one of those ghost hunters. I, I, I used to watch ghost hunters when it first came out. I've been watching them for years. I watched them get old. Um, so I, I love that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I definitely do too. I'm the Rob Zombie, uh, you know, house of thousand corpses type. So, it, you know, the scarier, the better. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, if you had to select one, what would you say is your favorite horror film? Well, so in recent time, that's a tough one, man. Uh, but I'll, I'll take it back to the, the most influential in my life. And I think that that was um, Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Yes. That movie as a kid scared me to death, horrified. Um, and that got me into reading Stephen King as a little kid. And so I've, I've read him since I've probably been old enough to read. I was into the Saw movies. Okay. Yeah, I, I like the Saw movies. I like the uh, the escape room horror movies that have recently been coming out. Oh yeah, I haven't seen those yet. Yeah, those are those are pretty interesting because the escape rooms, you know, it's kind of like the whole escape room idea, but it's not you either get out or not. It's you die or you don't. So they have to figure out all these challenges to get out of dying in this place. So that's pretty cool. I'll check it out, man. Um. So you said you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Talk to me about the bar situation there. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to hit up speakeasies or hidden bars. Um, and if I was out in Chattanooga, what unique bar like that would you direct me to? So the best place that for that, I think, because um, I'm in the, into sort of the same thing. And there's a place called Unknown Caller in Chattanooga. And the way to get into this bar is through a red telephone booth. And you walk into this telephone booth and you have to pick up the receiver to get the code to get into the door. So once you get into the door, there's a big picture of the queen behind, behind the bar. And they have like, you know, all kinds of really cool paintings. It's kind of, it's kind of a hipster vibe to it. Um, there and, you know, I would be wrong if I didn't mention uh, for my Brian Joyce. Um, he's on, he has a talk show uh, on uh, 102.3 here in Chattanooga. But he also has a uh, bar uh, downtown that's called the Blue Light, which is like a hip-hop bar. Um, so he, he builds a lot of business there. Nice, man. I'll put it on my list. Have you been to the church uh, in Denver? No, I haven't. Bro, go to the church. Go to the church. Church in Denver and Excalibur in Chicago. Okay. Excalibur's haunted. And it's in a church, an old church. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it's, it looks like an old Gothic church. And the one in Denver is the same way. It's an old church. And it's like a live music venue. I've been to a rave there. It's a really cool bar. Um, so if you get the chance in Denver, hit that up. But Excalibur, you can read about it online. It's, it's haunted. Um, I think the basement they used to during the Chicago fires, I believe. I may be mistaken. Um, but I think it was Chicago fires. The basement, uh, was a makeshift morgue. And so the club itself is haunted. Yes. Yes. Let's go. I'm down. <laughs> so I just heard last call here. You got time for one more? Sure. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Man, I hate to, to rip off, uh, you know, a franchise, but 
Cyberpunk 2077 has arrived, man. The, the whole game, that, I, I think it would be a tie between a bar out of that game or a bar themed after Watch Dogs Legion. Like an English, you know, UK, England, London type vibe, post-apocalyptic type deal. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, I like that, man. But you can't take that name, though. I call it the Haunted Hackers Haunted Hotel. I like that, man. And what would your signature drink be? Oh, man. You know you got to make it bourbon. Yeah. That's my go-to. The the bourbon, for sure. Um, But, you know, I I was in... Where was I at? I think it was in Manchester. Yeah, I was speaking at the, uh, the Manchester United Stadium over in London or Manchester um, a couple years ago. And I went to this place called, I want to say it was like called the chemist or mixologist or something, but it was kind of like you walk in and the drinks all came in like these weird test tube and beaker looking things and smoke in and like, but they were really good drinks. Like they were quality drinks, mm. uh, but they had like this cool like lab feel to it. I think that'd be cool too. Those type of drinks or maybe an infusion bar, like a cannabis infusion bar. Yeah, man. Infused drinks, cocktails, food, desserts. In the metaverse. In the metaverse, yeah. Or a legal state near you. (laughs) Listen, like those mushrooms, provide that experience during your podcast. Oh, for sure. No, I'll tell you what. Read a book. Uh, I'm going to plug this book that I read years ago. Daniel Suarez wrote the book, and it's called Snow Crash, I believe. Um, I think it was Daniel Suarez. I mean, girl, but the book is called Snow Crash, and it was basically that idea. Um, they were jacking into like a different reality, and Snow Crash was a drug that was being spread around in that that reality. It messed everything up. So it's sort of the same idea. I mean, that idea is being brewed right now. So it's it's crazy we're talking about it, but it's actually happening. So, Mike, where can our listeners check out the Haunted Hacker podcast online? So you catch a podcast on YouTube, the video portion, um, and on every major platform, uh, including Pandora and Spotify on the audible side of it, on the audio, audio side of it. Um, and you can find everything you need to find at the uh, including my email address and ways to get a hold of me and place up speak. Mike, thanks for stopping by for this one-on-one man. Um, it was long overdue and, um, yeah, I'll see you soon on Horizon Worlds, man. Let's link up for a virtual beer. Awesome, man. Appreciate it, brothers. It's an honor being here. Had a good time. Thanks, man. Take care. Cheers. As you know, Barcode is where security and IT professionals hang out after a long day. So get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode. Learn more at the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.